Good morning. For anybody that doesn't know me, I'm John Culp. I'm filling in for Mark. I hope he's having a great time on vacation today. My topic for the day is when we suffer. And you know, this is a big topic, and there's all kinds of scripture on it. And if you had a good preacher up here, and if he had lots of time, he could really do a lot with it and even make a series out of it. But with the time I have, I'm just going to hit a few points that mainly relate to the struggles of individual believers. First question, should Christians have to suffer? A number of years ago, I was watching TV and I ran across a popular televangelist that I won't name, but he, uh, he made a big point that if you're a Christian, you receive an anointing of ease. That's how he put it. And uh, his uh, basis was that Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. But he claimed that if you were just a Christian and you were faithful, that everything that used to be difficult for you would get to be easy. You know, whenever you're driving to work, all the traffic lights will turn green before you get to them, you know? Your boss won't fuss at you if you were late. Nothing will ever go wrong, you know? And uh, I just, my immediate thought was, this man's a false prophet. And uh, I remembered Paul's statement. Uh, he warned Timothy that in the last days, people will surround themselves with teachers who will tell them what their itching ears want to hear, refusing to put up with sound doctrine. And I've heard well-meaning people say that if you just have enough faith, you'll never have to struggle with depression or anxiety or worry. But you know, only a very highly selective reading of the Bible can support that. In both the Old Testament and New, there's a lot of it that addresses real suffering and persecution of people of God. And uh, in the Western world today, the church isn't being persecuted the way it was in New Testament days, but we know there's parts of the world where uh, people are facing terrible problems with that and, and being killed for their faith. But we're in a part of the world where we're not facing that right now, but that doesn't mean that life as Christians is easy, does it? Look around at the people you know. Look right around in this room. You know, there's people who struggle with health problems, who are grieving over the loss of loved ones, who are uh, facing worries about unemployment, financial difficulties. Christian parents worry for their unbelieving children, and vice versa. You know, uh, there's people who wonder if they'll ever find someone to love them, people who are in marriages and relationships who uh, struggle with uh, uh, getting along or people who are having to deal with breakups. This recent ongoing COVID pandemic has uh, just added a plethora of worries. You know, uh, uh, anxiety, sickness, grief, unemployment, business failures, the list just goes on and on. 
I already mentioned our little thing about wishing we could see our grandbaby. You know, your life may be easy and peaceful now, and I sure hope it is. And, you know, everything's sort of relative from your perspective, and some people think they've got trouble because they're on their way to work and the car in front of them's driving the speed limit, and they're late. Or maybe the patties in the Wendy's burger aren't quite square enough. Or, or maybe, like myself and my wife right now, they've had to buy a new phone and they're dealing with getting it all set up and everything transitioned over. But you know, there's going to be a lot of worse things coming along than that. When Jesus told the parable about the uh, men who built their houses on the rock and on the sand, which is in Matthew 7, 24 to 27, hey, Jesus didn't say what would happen if the rain came down, the streams rose, and the wind beat against the houses. Now, did he? He said, when those things happen. And I guarantee you that those storms in life are going to come along if they haven't already. And, you know, you got to be prepared to, uh, to withstand them. And uh, if you don't, your life's going to fall with a great crash, just like that house built on the sand did. Suffering is universal. Sooner or later, we're all going to have real problems. What's our natural reaction when they do come along? Isn't it to act surprised and say, why me? Why is this happening to me? You know, it, it is. It's natural. And we may see somebody else facing a terrible situation. And we say, you know, that's, that's a good person. They don't deserve that. And whether we say it out loud or not, we question God's justice. There was a popular book years ago, I don't hear about it as much lately, but it's still out there, written by a rabbi named Harold, Kush Harold Kushner about why bad things happen to good people or when bad things happen to good people and basically he was addressing the question of how a loving God who's all powerful could let bad things happen to his people who love him and his conclusion was that yeah God loves us but no he's not all powerful he can't stop us from having troubles and I reject that conclusion I don't think that's right so why then do good people suffer? And I'll put quotes around good people. Do you remember what Jesus said to the rich man in Mark 10:18? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. And we need to be sure we don't overlook that he was letting that man know that he was divine. But if that's true, how can any of us claim to be good people in God's sight? You know, really we can't. You know? Why should we feel so special? Well, there is a reason we're special, and it's because God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son 
that whoever believes in him shall never perish but have eternal life. But as Christians, we're not promised an easy life. In Matthew 10, 24, and 25, Jesus said to his disciples, The student is not above the teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for students to be like their teachers and servants like their masters. Think of the troubles that Jesus went through during his life. Think about the sacrifice he made at the end of it. You know, Jesus tells us that we have no right to expect anything better than he did for his followers. So rather than, why me? The question we really ought to ask is, why not me? And that's a hard thing to do. But it's true. And we can debate about this, but neither you or I are less deserving of uh, misfortune than anybody else is. So what are some reasons why we may be suffering? Well, the world has a ready answer. And now I'm going to kind of uh, tiptoe here a little bit. Dookie happens. I'm trying to be polite. This is a quote from the Forrest Gump movie. Y'all know what I'm talking about. And, you know... It's kind of a catchy line, and sometimes it's funny, but it's not good theology. It implies that, that uh, suffering is nasty, it's disgusting, it's random and pointless. And uh, the Bible gives us several reasons why our suffering may occur, and also tells us that it's not pointless, but it can be for our benefit. And here's some reasons why. We suffer because we live in a fallen world where sin reigns. This is not how God intended for creation to be. Galatians 6, 7 says, Do, uh, excuse me, 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says, now I'm, I'm saying this is a fallen world where sin reigns. Satan is the Lord of this world. And I'm going to back that statement up with 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. The God of this age, he's referring to Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So Satan's ruling over the world right now here. Suffering may be our own fault. It may be the result of making foolish choices. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows, Galatians 6, 7. Sometimes God is disciplining us by letting us go through hard times. And in Hebrews 12, 5 and 6, and have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Now we've got to be careful 
that we don't look at other people going through troubles and say, well, obviously God's doing this because you've been doing that. You know, we don't know that. And that's where Job's friends went wrong. But it just might apply to us, and it's worth considering. We may face persecution for our Christian witness. Now, like I said, in our country, we don't have real persecution with uh, physical abuse, loss of property, loss of life. But, you know, we could face uh, rejection and ridicule and harassment from uh, non-Christian friends. But even more so, I believe Satan himself personally attacks us when we're trying our very best to follow Jesus, to be like him, and to serve him. And this is something that I noticed a long time ago, seeing godly people going through uh, terrible troubles, even before I realized it was a biblical principle. The prototypes in Job 1.8. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. And Satan replies, that, Yeah, Job serves you just because you've put a hedge around him and everything he has and you know, basically, you've paid him off. You take all that away from him, and he'll curse you to your face. So uh, God let Satan. Uh, he put certain limits on him, but he let Satan attack him hard, and Satan used every bit of his freedom uh, to, to do that. And I believe that uh, God lets Satan attack us today as he did Job. And he sets limits uh, that he uh, may not exceed. I think he does it both as a way of testing and hopefully strengthening our faith and also to show Satan that if he does his worst, he can't overcome faith. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. Luke twenty-two thirty-one. I believe he still asks to sift us and that God lets him do it today. So, can benefits really come from suffering and what are they? Well, if we realize that we really are suffering from our own foolishness, then hopefully we need to learn from it and do better. And if on reflection we uh, feel that God might be disciplining us or something, then we really need to learn from that and do better. I'm going to continue on with that uh, passage from Hebrews 12 with verse 7. And dear hardship is discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. 
Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Suffering can help us to help others who are going through similar trials. It's always risky to say, I know how you feel, but if you really have been in a similar situation and dealt with it, often you can be a real help to somebody. Suffering can help to increase our faith by taking our focus off of the distractions of the world and uh, letting us realize our inability to cope with problems just due to our own strength and seeing our dependence on God. 1 Peter 6 and 7 says, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. And Romans 8.28 tells us, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. And sometimes this is a hard thing to accept. Uh, God has a very different point of view from ours. And the good he's working, we may not see right away we may not see it during our lives on earth. But sometimes we do see God working for us in adversity. Way back in 1996, I was on a motorcycle trip with my brother. We were going to Plano, Texas, just riding straight on through. And uh, I used to pray a lot on my old Harley. And uh, I just finished up a prayer with a request for God to watch over us and bring us safely home to our families. And just as I said, amen, oh man, idiot lights started coming on, my tachometer needle started swinging back and forth, and uh, the engine started sputtering, and then everything shut off. And my brother was out in front of him, and as I coasted to stop, I saw him cruise on off to the horizon. And I pulled over in a bad part of Jackson, and it was 95 degrees in the afternoon, and uh, I got off and stood up and I said, Lord, is that how you answer my prayer? And then I stood there a minute and I said, oh, well, you know, this isn't the end of the world. You know, things are going to work out. And in a little bit, my brother had noticed that uh, I wasn't behind him and he turned around at an exit and came back. And another fellow came up who had been going the other way and saw me break down. And he was a traveling salesman with equipment for Harleys that had a box with cards for every dealership in the country, and he had a cell phone, which not many people did, and he called the dealership, which was closed, but there was a mechanic working late, and he happened to answer the phone. So he came out and got me with the truck and put the battery on charge to work on it the next day, and he told me and my brother where there was a motel and a Thai restaurant close by, and we had a good night. So we went back the next day when the shop opened, and he said, by the way, fellas, did you happen to see the weather on the news last night? No, we didn't. Well, right about the time we would have been getting into Baton Rouge, they had this tremendous storm with really bad lightning, great big hail, floods, high winds, not a good time to be passing through on a motorcycle. So I said, 
Yeah, Lord, that was how you answered my prayer. I made it back to Sunday school here the next day. Anyway, uh, if we remain faithful to Christ in our suffering, we can serve as witnesses to unbelievers in the world. The word martyr means a witness. And in the Roman Empire, when a lot of people were tortured and killed, thrown to the lions and other animals and gladiators and whatnot, set on fire in Nero's garden for a party, uh, you know, a lot of people sympathized with them. And actually, the church grew during that time of persecution. Eventually, a monk named Telemachus from Egypt came to Rome, and he heard this big uproar and followed the noise to the Colosseum, and he saw what was going on, and he ran out onto the uh, stadium floor and said, Brothers, this horrible slaughter has got to stop. The crowd booed him, and they stoned him to death. But you know what? That incident caused a lot of people to question whether they really should be doing that. And the, the games and the persecutions of Christians fell out of favor and stopped pretty soon after that. The Colosseum shut down. Now something caught my eye in 1 Peter 1, a passage I read a little from a minute ago, when I was working on a Bible lesson. <clears throat> it's in verses 8 and 9. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Okay, now that sounds good. That's positive. We may be suffering, but we can take joy in knowing that we're being saved, salvation of your souls. But as I was preparing for this lesson, I read a commentary that said that that word your before souls wasn't in the Greek in the original text. And I checked it out in an old King James Bible that italicizes words that are put in because the translators thought it'd make the point clearer. So anyway, what does that say if we take that word out like it originally was? For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of souls. What if that is what Peter meant exactly? that the result of our faith is supposed to be the salvation of souls. If other people are witnessing how we go through trials and are carried through by our faith in Christ, then they want that. And you know, this is important to me because, hey, I'm one of those observers who ended up being drawn to Christ because of it. Much of my adult life, I was an avowed atheist. And, you know, I knew I was missing out on something, too. And uh, when I became a practicing physician, I really saw the difference when the storms of life hit people between those who have a deep abiding faith and those who have none. When the real storms hit, like the death of a spouse or a child, or being told you have terminal cancer, there's a big difference there. And I wanted what those people of faith had. And that started me seeking God, and eventually it culminated in witnessing 
a great miracle that convinced me of the reality, the existence of God and his love and care for us. And uh, so I, uh, uh, I dedicated myself to Christ, and I didn't even realize that that was the uh, result, too, of prayers by my wife. And uh, that happened before we had our first child. So she grew up with two Christian parents. Here I am today. And I want to note that suffering isn't something good. It's not something that you ought to seek out. You know, we've all seen the, you know, Monty Python movies with old guys going around hair shirts chanting and bamming themselves on the head with a board, and they did stuff like that. But that's not what builds your faith. It's trusting in God to carry you through. And being Mr. Tough Guy and trying to bear all your burdens by yourself and your own strength, that, that doesn't really accomplish anything. So do I have a ready formula for how to, how to act when faced with suffering? You know, I struggle with this stuff myself. And I have a hard time being joyful in it, for sure. But as a rule, we ought to try to keep the complaining mainly confined to God. You know, he can take it. He can deal with it. Job, all the way through the book, was asking questions, you know. God, why'd you do this to me? I don't deserve it. You know, if I could just speak to you face to face, I'd convince you this is wrong, you know. Uh, and we know how that worked out. But... Um, I think that uh, we just have to trust that God's sovereign. He's eventually going to work things out. We can ask him for relief from our troubles, but we've always got to say like Jesus did, your will be done. Some people say, yeah, you're not showing good faith if you just say, oh, heal me if it's your will, Lord. But really, that's biblical. And we know that God doesn't always answer prayers in the way that we want. He's not a short order cook with miracles and stuff. He does it if it serves his purpose. And uh, Paul himself said in 2 Corinthians 12, 7 to 9, Therefore, in order to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. The longer I live as a Christian, facing the struggles of life and seeing others face them, the more I think that our prayers shouldn't focus as much on outcomes, but on uh, being in God's will and uh, trusting in Him and uh, uh, asking for his strength and his comforting presence. You know, a few months ago I was up here preaching about comfort and the original word of that is to give strength. And uh, 1 Corinthians 3, 4 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those and any trouble with the comfort that we ourselves receive from the Lord. So there's a reason right there that we face trials so that we can use the comfort we get from God to help others. We want to try to comfort people by listening sympathetically and being slow to speak. 
Don't be like Job's friends. We don't need to be diagnosing the cause and offering unasked for advice. That can just make things worse. But we must keep on living in the hope that no trouble lasts forever. Christ has something far better in store for us in eternity. As Paul said in Romans 8.18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And you know, it is a great encouragement to know that Christ does know what we're going through. He understands. And I do know this, that without Christ, you really have no hope. In John 16, 33, Jesus said, In this world you will have trouble, but be of good heart, because I have overcome the world. If you don't have this peace in your heart, you know, you really have no hope. But Jesus is offering it to you. In this world you will have trouble, and the only way to overcome it is by trusting in the one who has overcome the world.